This episode of the pod wouldn't be possible without the support of Alex, Sammy and the team at Shearwater Health and Fitness. Everyone needs a little bit of help and support at times, especially when it comes to health and wellness. Not only is Shearwater Health and Fitness supporting the Talk Hard podcast, but more importantly, they're committed to providing Shearwater and the surrounding community with a premium quality health and wellness facility. If you've been looking to take the first step or even the next step in your health and wellness journey, they provide a full-class timetable, 24-7 gym, infrared sauna, Normatec recovery boots and a massage therapist. Something for everyone, whether you're a high-performance athlete, mum, dad or just someone wanting to help be the best version of yourself. Call in and see them at 24 Shearwater Boulevard, which is right next door to the IGA, or you can check them out on Instagram and Facebook for all the details. On this week's show, local up-and-coming sprint car racing superstar Ethan Wiley. Those familiar with the local motorsport circuit will know Ethan from his rise from dominating go-karts to now being behind the wheel of these 900 horsepower beasts, proving he's made of better stuff than me, that's for sure. But some might not know the physical challenges that Ethan's had to go through along the way to get to where he is. Ethan was born with a club foot, which required numerous surgeries as a young fella, and he missed out on plenty of things that a lot of kids his age take for granted. We talk about this and the effect that it had, including a couple of botched procedures which set him back, how he got through it, how it affected him emotionally and his journey into motorsport driving. One thing I love about Ethan is his attitude and not taking no for an answer, whether or not this is with his life or whether it's with motorsport. You make your own luck sometimes and Ethan doesn't sit back, he makes things happen. I was lucky enough to be able to speak to Ethan from the USA where he's now learning as part of the crew under sprint car legend Jason Sides. And he speaks about how this came about, the things he's learning, what he loves about racing, what scares him and his plans for the future. Enjoy. Talk hard! like of course I'm not going to walk again like that's just the reality isn't it and the doctor that rang mum said oh we've saved your um, son's life and I remember looking up and just saying <laughs> that wasn't out and he looked at me and he said no it wasn't but I didn't want to give you not out because you're my son and I said fuck me dad I just remember her telling us your daughter's got um, leukemia during school oh we swapped class a couple times who's cluier out of the two both got the same smartness <laughs> not real smart at all <laughs> If you are dedicated to something, as long as it's safe and it's not hurting anyone else, I don't think anything should hold you back. Keep pushing forward, you know. It, days get tough sometimes. You know, it does turn around. You just gotta, just gotta fight for it a little bit. I was like, why can't we be that 1% that survived? She said to me then, she goes, you were more like me than I ever realised. The Talk Art Podcast with Brendan Hinkson. Ethan Wiley, welcome to the Talk Art Podcast, mate. No, thank you so much for having me. It's, uh been pretty cool to be on here no worries mate my pleasure you've um you've got the uh the esteemed title of being our first guest from america we've um spoken to people um from other uh, other parts of the world spain england but um yeah you're our first yankee that we've had on so can we call you a yankee yet have you been over there long enough um i suppose we can yeah just um tell us a little bit about um what you're doing over there at the moment and how it's all sort of panning out for you yeah so it all panned out um because our sprint car season um is over due to winter so yep. it's so you um, predominantly race ra- here in australia don't you yes yeah race yep. in australia for um yeah most of most of the summer and then um it's all summer in america right now so they're kind of full swing at the moment with um you know i got hooked up with uh jason sides um yep. he's a full-time world of outlaw um team so it's been pretty cool that he's let me in and he's just teaching me everything I can learn. And yeah, it's been pretty cool. 
Mate, yeah. this this is a part where I will tell you that I know absolutely bugger all about sprint car racing, so I'm probably going to ask yeah. you a lot of really stupid questions. I remember I grew, up over, I grew up over in La Trobe, and we used to go all the time up until probably about the oh, age really? of about, yeah, up until about the age of 10 or 12. So pretty much all I can yeah, probably right. tell you is just how loud they are and how much mud they flick up when they're coming past. But as far as the ins and outs of it, mate, I'll probably ask you a few dumb questions, but you're just going to have to ride that <laughs> with fine. me. <laughs> that's fine that's awesome <laughs> so, um, how, how's the states been mate for a young fella what are you 18 eh? is that right or? yeah 18 yeah it's been you know full on it's been a dream of mine since i've been young to just come over here and watch and to be a part of a team full yep. time and you know travel different states every week and race every week it's been pretty full on but i love it super grateful for the opportunity so yeah. does it does it differ at all to the um, Australian circuit? Like, is it a lot more full on professional over there? Like, how does it how does it sort of um, relate to to Australia? How does it compare? It's um, it's a job here. So this is they treat this as a job. This is um, this is how they get paid. So um, you know you got full time crew, you got full time drivers. Where Australia is more of a weekend kind of thing. You know, like. You can still kind of make a business over there in Australia, but to come over here in America, that's where the money's at. That's where you kind of make it. Um, yeah, it's kind of like NBA and NBL. Like NBA is kind of a lot bigger than NBL, and that's the same in you know Speedway. Yeah. Yep. So is it like a dream of, of most Australian drivers to, to get over to America? Is that like the, the pinnacle of, of the sport? I think so. I think, you know, once you get to America and you start racing over here, it's, um, you know, that's kind of your dream come true. And when you start winning races and start earning money, then it gets a bit serious. And, yeah. you know, it's all full swing from there. That's where opportunities happen. And, yeah, and no, that's um, definitely a big deal over here. Well, you, you're, you're smashing yeah. the stereotypes for most people your age, mate. Like my kids, I know that I'm begging <laughs> them to try and go out and get a job and, you know, get whatever you can yeah. and stuff. And you, <laughs> you've probably jumped the queue a little bit there. What a dream for you. Actually, um, I quit my apprenticeship to come here. Yeah, um, what were you doing? Three months. Uh, sign writing with uh, oh, yeah? D-Signs. Yep. Yeah, so my boss, um, I gave my boss notice and he was really happy for me, Jamie Enright. Gave me, yep. um, I know, know Jamie. Praised me a lot. Yeah, yeah, really good guy, really good boss. And, yeah, they were very happy for me. So I just kind of come over. I didn't really know. I didn't know Jason or any of the team. So, yeah, just kind of jumped in and, you know, have a crack. See how we go. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. like I said, I, I won't spoil the story because we will get to that sort of where you uh, went over there. But we'll um we'll go back to the start, mate. So you grew up in uh, Burnie, Burnie boy? Yeah, so I grew up in Burnie till... Um, 13 years old, so 2017. Then I moved to Devonport. So, yeah, yep. most of my childhood in Burnie. And um, so obviously people that are that are close to you would know, um, you know, a few of the challenges that you've had um, along the journey. But um, you you were born with a with a club foot. So yes, for anyone, yep. out, anyone out there that doesn't know, mate, can you just give them a quick sort of overview on, on what that is and, and, and how it affects a baby when they're born? Yeah, so I was when I come out of the womb, um, my foot was actually twisted near backwards. So um, we've had you know a lot of I've had a lot of surgeries to try and fix it. Um, but yeah, it's it's one of those things where it either can be fixed or you know you struggle in the long run with it. Um, so yeah, I kind of I kind of got the bad end of it, the deal. But you know we got through it. So 
So what what did it involve at an early age, mate? I'm assuming like operations and consultancies and things like that from basically from day dot. Is that right? Yeah. So from five months, um, zero to five months, I was getting plaster every day on my leg to try and fix it. Um, you know, then we moved on to some bigger operations after that, um, yep. where some of the operations were over 10 hours to get um, done. But I've had over 25 or something operations. Um, yep on my leg to try and fix it um but we're we're at a pretty good stage at the moment where i'm comfortable like comfortable to you know walk around and do my sport and without much pain so it's been pretty good there's a bit of a dark time in my childhood but you know we got through it so yeah and you you say a yeah. bit of a dark time mate was that sort of like emotionally did you sort of struggle with it a little bit as a as a young fella like did you did it make you feel different to others or yeah, I think, you know, being being in a wheelchair and crutches at school and um, being in over a year in the hospital in Melbourne, yep. I stayed with um, the Ronald McDonald house. They got me, yep. you know, we stayed there for over a year or something. So I missed out on a lot of school. Uh, I think I missed out on like 14 months of school, um, a lot of school trips, a lot of friends' birthdays, um, a lot of racing as well missed a whole pretty much a whole year of racing which affected me pretty bad yeah but um you know think about the positives we met we met a lot of you know a lot of good people there um a lot of families that have been through a lot more than i have so yeah i feel i still feel pretty lucky so just explain to us, mate. So obviously you had to spend a fair bit of time over in Melbourne with your operations and stuff. What what do the operations actually involve for, for a club foot? What did they actually have to do? Um, so, you know, through the years, uh, when I was five years old, they put a Ilazara frame um, on me when I was five, and that was rods going in. Uh, it went, it poked through my legs, so both sides, they were pretty still, thick rods. Uh, um so that was um that was quite a big operation that was to try and fix it um i got that in bernie um so there was these bolts that you have to twist to you know adjust adjust the frame um so the the surgeon painted it um with you know just a red marker um to adjust it so mum would adjust it each day but he actually painted the wrong bolt Right. So, yeah. So every time Mum would turn the bolt, it would break my toes each time, and I've had yeah. I had that for like yeah, I've had that for like three four months. Um, yeah. I'm just Mum just breaking my toes each day, and we didn't know until we went back in to get it off, and they yeah, it turned out it was all mucked up, and you know the surgery went you know completely pear shaped. Um, so that wasn't too great, but um. You know, when I was, I think it was, yeah, 12 years old, um, I had the same operation, but in Melbourne, and they, you know, that was a success. That, um, you know, that really helped me a lot. But, yeah, I feel like that that Bernie operation when I was five, that, you know, set me back a little bit. Um, I think that's why a fair bit of the operations that I didn't, that I've got, I didn't really need to get. So, yeah, that... That kind of, you know, started a whole new uh, chain of operations from 
you know, my my leg getting infected with golden staff. Um, yeah, that wasn't too great. So every time we get a cut now, um, sometimes golden staff comes by, which which can be dangerous. Yeah, um, it can so be lethal. Yeah, so yeah, it needs to be taken with care. But you know, still still doesn't stop me. But you know, it's not. It wasn't the greatest time to go through all that and it was it was very hard on my mum and dad and my whole family yeah well i reckon see. like for your mum to be helping you like you say when you're, you're sort of turning these bolts or whatever you're doing and i'd imagine you'd be in excruciating pain wouldn't you oh uh, yeah I, I was screaming um i was in tears every day for yep. you know two three months you know getting getting that done um you know and she'd she'd cry every time it would happen like my dad doesn't cry too much, but I've seen him cry over it. It was um, it was very tough for them. And so the um, the, the the point of that um, procedure was like, as she's tightening the bolts, was that meant to sort of straighten your foot slowly? Was it? Or yeah, so it was meant to adjust the rods, but yeah, instead of that, it was kind of adjusting my toes to drop, and yeah, it wasn't wasn't the most um, you know, great experience. But... Yeah. yeah. And yeah. and another thing that you told me that, that had to happen is they had to break your good leg there at one stage too, did they? Is that Yeah. So they had to put um keyway surgery in my knee. Uh, I think that was twenty twenty one. That's my my recent operation. That was my last one for a while. So they had to put that to stop my growth because my hips were getting really uneven. Um yep. that would have really affected me, you know, when walking and in the future, not being probably be able to walk in the future with, you know, all that stuff going on. So I think the surgeries worked really well, um, you know, to do with the growth kind of side of it. Um, and, you know, my leg's looking good where I probably won't have to get much operations for the future. Like, yep. it's it's minimised it quite a lot. So, like, socially you said that you had to miss a fair bit of time away from school and, and things like that. How, how did you go as a young fella sort of forming forming friendships and sort of hanging out with your mates and, and that sort of thing? Was that, was that difficult or did you have a group of mates that sort of got around you? Or? I think, yeah, I had a lot of supportive mates um, from the start. So it was always good. They would always check on me. And then when I moved to Devonport, I, I didn't know anyone. So coming to there and you know, I found a good group of mates that, you know, I still talk to a lot today, and when I go back, we'll, you know, I'll catch up with them. But yeah, they they definitely got me through a lot of stuff, and so did my family. Yeah. So yeah. when you moved over to Devonport, were you still in a wheelchair and crutches and things like that? Or no, I was actually. I don't think I had another operation for probably a year after I moved. Um, yeah. So yeah, it was. I I went through a full year of school then. Um, didn't miss much days, which was really good. Met a lot of good yep. people, which I kind of needed. So, yep. yeah, it was pretty good. How scary is it in this day and age how much we rely on modern technology? It's not till your phone dies or the Wi-Fi or power goes off that you realise you'd be lost without it. Well, recently, my phone decided in its old age to die and stop charging, and on a weekend, no less. So what do you do? Rather than waiting to speak to the network providers or retail outlets, which can be painful within itself... Give Brad or Katie a call at Greenies Apple Repairs. That's what I did, and they had my old phone as good as new in hours. Greenies take care of iPhones, iPods, iPads, and pretty much everything else, and they won't cost you an arm and a leg. 
So next time you're stuck back in the dark ages with no technology, contact Greenies Apple Repairs on 0401 229 220 or you can contact them at www.greeniesrepairs.com.au or find them on Facebook. Now just to get onto this busted screen. And um, so you said sort of just focusing on the on the positives. Obviously, you know, it, it probably did get you down a bit as a little fella. Can you remember sort of any other strategies that you used or any other people that sort of supported you or any advice that you were you were given around that time to get through? Because I could imagine, like, I'm just thinking back on my own childhood, like all we wanted to do was go outside and run around. And, you know, it's the, the typical yeah. Tassie childhood, you know, you play cricket in the summer and footy in the winter and that sort of thing. Obviously, you didn't have the ability to do that. So... What other things did you sort of do to get through it, mate? You know, being over in Melbourne and all that would go to a lot of, you know, a lot of footy games, went to ice hockey, went to a lot of NBL games, which, you know, kept me busy. Yep. Um, I gave footy a crack. Um, It was fun, but, you know, it kind of hurt after, you know, probably half time. So I probably have to back off a little bit. I'd done basketball for a bit. Um, But I found, you know, motorsport was... Definitely the thing that got me through it um, when I could, but I don't. I don't think it stopped me. Um, you know, I'd still go outside with my crutch. I'd go climb a tree with plaster on. I didn't. You know, it didn't really stop me. Um, yep. I just always, you know, it kind of felt normal to me to, you know, be in that situation. So I just try and work around it, kind of thing. Yep. So rather than just sort of sit there and sort of feeling sorry for yourself, you just thought, well, I'm just going to get out and have a crack at it anyway. Yeah, not give up. Um, Just look at the positives kind of thing. Yep. Well, it's funny, actually, how that sort of served you later on in life, which we'll get to, because obviously you're you're happy to have a a crack at stuff, which is why you're over there talking to us from America at the moment. But um, yeah. just you talk about the pain, mate. What sort of pain is involved in this sort of thing? Like, you know, obviously in between your operations and stuff, is is it painful to walk, or were there times when you know you you couldn't walk? Or yeah, um, I think I still get pain today. Just you know, being like cold temperatures in rooms and just being on my foot all day, I'll get pain. But I think through the surgery side of things, like I couldn't walk for probably three three weeks to a month um just being on crutches um which was a lot like really painful but you know like some of the smaller operations it wasn't too bad but when you got those you know 10 hour operations where you can't even move for weeks because you just you know you're in that much pain and yeah yeah it was it was pretty traumatizing to be in um yeah it it sucked so both so my parents were there with me um, yep. at the Ronald McDonald house, but obviously mum was my full-time carer. She was there by my side through the whole thing, but obviously dad had to go to work and make some money because, you know, we struggled a lot staying there for near a full year. It was pretty hard with, you know, no income coming in. So, you know, dad, dad did what he could back in Tasmania to, you know, get some money and help us yep. out where we could and he'd come over when he can. So, yep. so yeah, you had to it, it was more- a hard time. So you had to spend a whole year in Melbourne, did you? Yeah, it was like it was. I think I went five, five, five months. I think over in Melbourne, and then I'd come home for a few weeks, and then back over again for checkups. It was yeah, just right. too hard because um, our doctor wanted you know to see me weekly um, to check up on it because it was a pretty serious thing. So 
he um you know we had to stay there but thankfully to the Ronald McDonald house they um you know they helped us get through it gave us somewhere to stay and you know they looked after us it was yep. pretty cool can you just tell us just quickly how the Ronald McDonald House works, mate? Because, you know, you touched on it there before. Obviously, for, for people that have to go over there, you've got to organise accommodation. Anyone that knows that goes to Melbourne just for a weekend, it's it's bloody expensive to, to live over there. So how does Ronald McDonald yeah. House support people in that circumstance? So, you know, um, through the uh, Royal Children's Hospital, they're right across the road from there. Um, and there's a lot of, a lot of sick kids, a lot of people that, you know, need somewhere to stay when they're across, diff- like from different um, states, or there's people from different countries coming over for the Royal Children's Hospital. Um, you know, and it's um, one of those things where you know they take us in, they feed us when they can. Um, you know, they bring AFL players in. Um, yep. Yeah, it's pretty. It's a pretty cool experience, and I'm you know very grateful for what they did for me. Um, yep. You know, they just made me feel welcome from the get-go. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. And That's you said you pretty cool. You met a few AFL players, obviously, Bernie, a young kid, pretty impressionable. Like, how did you how did you get on with them? And did you sort of learn anything from them at a young age or did they give you any advice? Or? I think, you know, uh, one of the guys that I really got along with was Jack Gunston, who yep. he plays for Brisbane right now, but yep. he was playing for Hawks. Um, you know, he was one of those guys that would he would just message me and, say do you want to hang out and you know we'll go hang out play some video games or wow he's one of those guys yeah he's very supportive um of me and you know he helped me through a fair bit he's pretty cool did you get homesick at all mate having to be over there so much um yeah I, i think i did it was like I was mainly at a younger age that I went over there, so I, I still had all my family. My family all lives in Melbourne, all my sister and um, my cousins and all that. So it wasn't it wasn't too bad. I just felt like from you know staying there for so long, it kind of just started to feel like home. Yeah, right. Uh, um, yeah. yeah, it was like one of those things where you know this is kind of it. So just yep. kind of dealt with it. Just yeah. kept busy and. Just something that you sort of just um just had to push through, mate. Yeah, no, that's it. It was yeah. um different times in the life, but yeah, it was good yeah. fun too. It's funny though when you when you sort of look back on things like that. Like kids are pretty resilient, aren't they? Like you, I know you know being a father now myself, and you know I'm assuming you're not a father, but you will be one day. Like no. you, yeah, you worry you worry a lot about your kids, but. You know, sometimes just at a young age, the things that they can endure, they just, I don't know, they just, they don't sort of overthink things. They just sort of push through. I suppose you was just sort of in that zone, were you? Yeah, it was just like, I don't know. I just, you know, felt at home and I didn't really care. I was on top of the world. I was happy and yep. I don't think anything could have changed that. Yeah. Even through what was going on, you know. Yep. Yep. Um, one thing that I mentioned to you there before, mate, about your childhood, obviously, you know, when I know someone's coming on the pot, I do a little bit of research on them and I was Googling you. A picture of this kid come up with uh, with the Perth Wildcats and there was a press conference yeah. with the coach and all this sort of stuff. Tell us about that. How the hell did that come about? So at the hospital, there's this Starlight Foundation. It's a program. Yep. Um, you know, that's where all the uh, sick kids and all that go in there and, you know, they play video games or, you know, joke around a bit. And um, they offered me a Starlight Wish. Um, so 
obviously I was a big fan of um, Mason Bragg when he played for the Perth Wildcats. Yep. So I really yep. wanted to go over there and see what see what's all going on. And yeah, that, that was pretty cool. Really cool experience. Got to yep. train with them for two days, and you know they took me in and got to uh, run out the tunnel with them. And yeah, it was really cool. Yeah, well, for any anyone that's interested, if you if you do um, Google Ethan Wiley, it'll come up with this um, press conference that you had with the coach, which goes for about three and a half minutes. <laughs> You're a lot smaller than you are now, mate. But yeah, a lot of people yeah. jump on jump on there and have a bit of bit of a look at that. It seemed like a pretty cool experience to go through. Yeah, it was you know unforgettable. It's, yeah, um, something I always always think about. And just being a boy from Bernie too, you couldn't have gone to a better club, mate. Like that's basically, you know, until the Jack Jumpers came along, that was basically Tassie's club. Like there were so many Bernie boys seemed to be there, weren't they? Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. There was um, there was Knight, um, there was Bragg, and you know, it was, I I don't think I think Knight was injured or yep. he wasn't playing when I was there, so I only got to uh, only Mason was there from Tassie, but the whole the whole team was really cool, very welcoming. Yep. Um, it was really cool to talk to all the players. Yeah. And so, just just talking about sport as a young fella. So, you you spoke about your um your motor racing and stuff. When did you get into that? When did that sort of come on the radar for you? Um, so Dad's always um done speedway and sidecars um ever since or well, before I was born, and I've always gone to watch that. So he bought me my first dirt bike at two years old. Yep, got into um, it early. Yeah, got into a little bit early, just around <laughs> the go-kart track with some um, training wheels and, yeah. you know, went into there. And then at five years old, um, I asked for a Wii, just one of those console game things. Yep. And he just come back with a go-kart. Um, <laughs> and that's when it <laughs> – my mum's like, are you serious? Like, she was shocked. Um, I don't know if she wanted to get into it that early, but, you know, I got into it and, you know, loved it ever since. So obviously, Dad had a vision for you. You weren't going to be sitting in front of the telly. You were going to be out and about sort of cart. It was like I had no choice. Straight into my other sport. That's what I had to do. <laughs> yeah. Yep. But no, he's done a lot for me in, through through go-karts. So I've been pretty lucky to race go-karts for probably 10 years now. So, yep. yeah. And how cool. how did you when he brought the go kart back? Then how did you how did you take to it? Like, did we did you struggle early, or were you a natural from from the start? I think. I think early I was just, you know, I was, my head was just all around, like, I'd be crazy. I'd just, hands off the steering wheel, I'd, I'd, I'd close my eyes on the straightaways. I'd just Jeez. try and do tricks. Yeah. I, <laughs> I was just all over the place. So I didn't really, I didn't really take it serious to start off with. It was just, you know, I just always wanted to go to the go-kart track and, you know, have some fun. And then after my first race meeting, um, when I was seven years old, so we practiced for about two years, and then yep. first race meeting, um, it really opened my eyes, and I was like, "Yeah, I, I kind of want to take this competitively." Yep. Um, How did you go in that first race, mate? Do you remember? Yeah, I was I was a fair bit behind the field. Yeah, <laughs> I think they lapped me, um, but you know, it it, it kind of come to me probably a few race meetings after that where I started to put you know put it on the podium. Um, started to move up a bit, but I don't think. I think 2013 was when I really started to get up there a bit and win a few races. Um, I think it, yeah, I was eight years old then, so yeah, yeah, that's that's when it started to kind of take off a little bit. 
When it comes to home renovations, there's nothing more important than getting the kitchen right. So you've got two options. Have a crack at it yourself and then get someone else in to fix it, or get the team at Infinite Joinery and Designs in from the start to avoid a lot of stress and dirty looks from the better half. If you're thinking of renovating your kitchen, give Sam and the team at Infinite a call straight away. Specialising in kitchen renovations, they can also take care of new home joinery fit-outs, renovations, laundries, wardrobes. They have 3D design software and Sam alone has over 20 years experience in joinery and project management. Find them on Facebook and Instagram or phone Sam on 0429 291 008 or by email which is sam at infinitejoineryanddesign.com. So don't be like me, thinking you'll save a few bucks and have a crack at it yourself. Call these guys in so you can sit back and watch the experts go to work. And you said that you tried a few other sports and that as well, but what was it about um, motorsport that sort of drew you in, apart from, you know, your, your family connection to it, and obviously you had no choice by the sound of things, but for you, you would, have, <laughs> you, you would have had to like it as well. Like, you know, your dad could have made you do it and you say, well, I hate this, Dad, I don't want to do it anymore. What is it about the sport that, that you loved that drew you to it? I think... To start off with, I think it was a little bit to do with my leg, um, you know, not being able to do a lot of running sport, not being able to run. Um, it was hard. So this was kind of my escape and, you know, the adrenaline just racing and, you know, being out there going like pretty high speeds, like in a go-kart going 110 k's on a straight. Yep. Um, yeah, it really, you know, really got me going and, I loved it, so I just kind of fell in love, like, as soon as I got in the seat, and, yeah, it's just all kind of gone off from there, like, yeah. It's funny being a young fella, it's the only opportunity at that age you're ever going to get to be going 110 clicks, because you can't drive a car <laughs> for a lot of years, can you? Yeah, yeah, no, it was um, definitely different. I remember uh, Dad getting out in his go-kart as well, just privately, just me and him on a go-kart track, and he wouldn't stop hitting me. Um, just kept hitting me up the straights, trying to make me go faster. So I yep. had enough of it, and he got alongside <laughs> me. And I just turned, I just turned into him, and we both yep. went in the fence. <laughs> um, and that was the last time he did that. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> yeah. He, he he did a lot of training <laughs> with you and practice with you at a young age. Like, was he basically your your coach, so to speak? Was he? Yeah, he he still is my coach. Like, yep. he's still always by my side, and you know, he tells me what to do and. You know, I think as a kid, though, you don't you don't really listen to your dad as much in the kind of motorsport world. It's just, you know, you don't think he knows what he's doing. But, you know, <laughs> I, as, as soon as I got older, it was, um, yeah, you know, he's, he's good. I have to listen to him. And I think most of my success is just from him. And so obviously you you had a lot of success, didn't you, as a young age? Like you won a lot of titles and things. How how you said you started putting it on the podium, but how long was it until you started to to really sort of stand out and think, well, hang on, I'm I'm pretty. You're not going to start, but I'm pretty bloody good at this, and I can make a, make yeah. a good go at it. I think I think it was 2014 when I was still in the lower class. I was in cadets, so that was the lowest age class you could go. Um, and we went over to the mainland, like over to Melbourne and all that. And I raced the Australasian, Australasian titles in Morwell, which is yep. a few hours from Melbourne. Um, and we had, we had troubles all weekend. And it come to the final race where I started, I think, 19th and we won it. Um, and that, that was my first mainland win. And that, like, that was, that was pretty big for us. So. I think that kind of started it all off and then we 
you know, we went back to Tassie and, you know, we won, we won a fair few races and then won the, won uh, the statewide series and the title. And, you know, we, we had a really good year and then we went to Queensland and um, to the invitational uh, Gold Coast race um, and we qualified third out of like 40 kids. I, I didn't even know what was going on. I was like, oh, we're going to be slow today, Dad. Um, and then we come in and we put it on third, which was pretty cool. Yeah. So, again, and this is my lack of knowledge about motorsport, mate. So you say when you what raced in that Australasian race, you, you started 19th and, and you won it. Are, are all the carts sort of roughly about the same sort of speed or can you have, like, better carts than other people or does it really just come down to the driver? Like, is, if you're, you know, the best driver in the field, can you sort of navigate through that many people to, to win the race? Or I think I think back then when, you know, I think, when they got these European motors, they recently got there, they come a little bit, um, there's a difference in speed where back then a lot of motors were pretty even. Um, and it was, it was just, I think a driver kind of thing where, you know, if, if you got a good setup and you're driving good, you know, the results come. So we're pretty fortunate enough to pick up that win. It was good. And you said so that that was cadets, and then do you jump up into like the open age group? How, do, how does that work? Yeah, so it goes cadets to rookies. Um, so it went, I think the ages have changed a little bit now, um, but it went to rookies, and then I think that's 12 years old to, I can't even remember the age, I think 14. Yeah. And then it went to juniors um but i didn't go to juniors till all the age brackets changed a little bit and yep. then i went to seniors in um 2020 so that's from 16 years old to you know any age 70 years old so yeah so how did you go yeah when you got into the open bracket racing against older drivers were you did you find that you could match it with them pretty quickly and how did you think you'd go for a start i i had no expectations going into the first meeting like I was up against some really good drivers um but you know we um I think we put we won our heat and then got I think second on the day and then I think the next few meetings we we just went like back to back just wins which was pretty cool then we won you know the the closed title and yeah we won a few good races that year it was um quite a good year for us in the race it's probably our best year yet yeah, and you take a lot of confidence, wouldn't you, out of um, beating older drivers because, you know, at one stage, you know, when you're beating everyone in your age group, you probably want that extra challenge. And then, you know, being able to, to compete with the best, you'd have to get a bit of a yeah, a bit of a spring in your step after that, wouldn't you? Yeah, it was it was always close racing. Like, you never know who would win on the day. Um, but I think, you know, racing against my cousin, my cousin would race against me. Um, she was probably one of my main competitors would you know, go nose to tail and, you know, it was it was good racing. Um, yep. But I think, yeah, I think racing against her and a few other guys, it was it was tough, but always good, clean racing. Yep, awesome. Yeah. And again, though, this, this is going to be one of my stupid questions, but you just touched on it then. So male and female just mix in and race against each other. Like there's no male and female competition? No, it's just all any gender. So That's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's all mixed. It's it's good. Some some girls are starting to get into the sport now, and you know they're really putting it up there, which is really good. Yep. I was going to ask you that. Yeah. Do you find like a lot of the girls are taking to it really well and sort of holding their own against the guys? 
Yeah, hundred um, percent. You know, I've, I've been vet by a few years now. Um, yep. You know, they they're good. As I don't think it's unfair at all um, between guys and girls. I think you know they both go good and. Yeah, they really put it out there. They definitely make it challenging for me. So yeah, well, good. I suppose it's it's one of those sports where you know physical attributes and and you know whatever else you want to talk about the male versus female thing you know doesn't really come into it, does it? It's more about your skills when you you know you're in the in the hot seat, so to speak. Like, and when you're looking at driving, there's no reason why you know a girl can't be a much better driver than a than a guy if their skill sets there. Yeah, exactly. I think. As soon as you chuck your, you know, your race suit on and your helmet, I think, you know, it doesn't matter who you are, you know, you just sort it out on the track kind of thing. Yep. Um, yeah, I think it's just one of those things where anyone can do it. You just got to put your mind to it. So, like, obviously being over in America now, mate, it, uh, it's that uh, you've gone down the sprint car path. But how did that come about for you? It's obviously you're racing go karts, but then you you moved up into the yeah, into the big boys. How'd that work? Um, so it kind of all started, I, you know, I come home from school one day and I was like, I just randomly went to dad, like, I want to race sprint cars. Um, yeah. So what attracted you to the sprint cars? I think it's just the speed. Um, and honestly, it's, you know, it's pretty hyped up around, you know, Speedway in Australia and America. And it's just something I've always, you know, kind of wanted to do since yep. I was young. I've always looked at sprint cars and it's been my dream to race and, um, yeah, and I went. I went um, home from school one day to dad because I knew the Australian title sprint cars was on at Latrobe back in 2020, and I was like, "To dad, I, I think I want to race sprint cars." And he he just laughed at me and said, "Look, we're never going to be able to afford that, so I'd probably get that out of your mind." And you know, I, I was like, "Yeah, righto." And then a few weeks later, I chased some sponsors and you know got enough money to actually be able to race for a season leasing someone's car and it was just you know it was just a time where I needed to find someone to lease the car off um and then later towards the season I you know I got a got a few drives after a race meeting from Scott Bissett um he was kind enough to let me in the car with you know Tony Smith looking after it um got got a few laps under my belt and then yeah it was time for me to race um which, you know, it was a good deal that we, we had going on and I really can't thank, you know, the Bissett family enough for, you know, put me in their car and let me do it. They actually, they were kind enough to, just for free, to let me, you know, do a few laps after a race meeting after they were done with the race. So, you know, the, the track guy, Thompson, he he um, looks after the track and he, he um, allowed me to do, you know, like 10 laps um, at a time. Um, after the race meeting and you know it was good it was good to learn how much horsepower is actually under the car um you know it was um it was very eye-opening to me from going you know 25 horsepower go-karts to 900 horsepower sprint cars and what age were you i was 16 yeah 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 started when i was 16 and as I say again, it's one of those rare things where you know you're not old enough to drive a car on the road, but you can you can be beyond the wheel of something with that much bloody horsepower. Like it's yeah, yeah, it's yeah. A, bit, a bit of a big responsibility, isn't there? Like, do you ever get scared when you're out there? You have your scary moments. Um, you know, sometimes when I get a bit close to the wall or you know, step on the throttle a bit too hard and wheel stand, it's it's a bit sketchy. But you know kind of got to keep your mind, you know, calm and focused to make sure, you know, you're driving right and, 
um, you know, when you're not focused, you know, stuff can go wrong and, you know, it's too expensive for stuff to go wrong. <laughs> yeah, they're not cheap, are they? No, like, you know, people paying 100 and, you know, 10, 120 grand for just a motor. Yep. Which is, you know, they're paying, you know, 500 grand for just a truck to transport it to the track, which is, you know, that's a house. Yeah. It's um pretty crazy money game that, you know, we're in, but, you know, the way me and dad look at it, like what else would we be doing? You know, this is, this is kind of our life and, yeah. you know, we work, dad, dad work, mum and dad work really hard to, you know, allow me to drive the car. So I really can't thank them enough for yeah. you know, everything they do for me. Yeah. And you say sort of going back to the the expense of it, you know, your dad obviously said to you, you know, we're not going to be able to, to do that. But, you know, in your own mind, you just went away and thought, stuff that, this is what I want to do. So you actually put the things in place yourself. You sort of drove it yourself to, to get yourself behind the wheel. Yeah. So, you know, after I got a little bit of money from sponsors, it was, I kind of just went to dad and I said, I hear I got the money. And, you know, he was, he was shocked. He, he still didn't think it was possible. And then, you know, after dad's good friends with Scott Bissett, so a few calls got made and, you know, the sponsors that helped and, um, yeah, it started to get a bit real. Um, and then he just supported me ever since with, you know, as much, all the money he can get, he puts straight into the car. Um, you know, we go, we go out with a lot of things. Um, we struggle a little bit like with money wise to, for the car. We put just pretty much everything we can into the car to make sure we can run it. Yeah. And are yeah. the rewards there, mate? Like, is it a big sort of, is it, is it a, is it the sort of sport where the financial rewards are there if you are winning a few races? And that obviously there's a fair investment there, but do you get a lot back if you are successful? I think Australia racing, it's not so much reward. It's more just in, in the money sense. I think, you know, getting a win, like, it's, it's always good for you, but like money sense, it's not. Um, quite there in Australia, but you know, I was at a race uh, last week and it was a million dollars to win, um, just one race. Yeah. So I think the mon- the money's huge over here, um, for America, but Australia, I don't, I just don't think it's where you can make a living, um, just racing sprint cars. You you definitely need a day job. Yeah. So why is the money bigger in America, do you think? Has it got a bigger following or just more of a like national audience or Yeah, I think it's it's a huge following over here. You know, the crowd the crowd over here is crazy. There's um you know, after the race meeting or before the race meeting, there's there's so many fans that come in and you know, see my team owner, uh, Jason Sides. Um he, he's he's done a lot in Speedway, and a lot of people come up to him and sign stuff and get photos. Like it's it's pretty cool to be a part of a team. He's such a good you know, team owner. In the world today, mental health is an issue which thankfully more and more people are becoming aware of and comfortable speaking about. When choosing a professional to help you, what kind of service would you be looking for? At Lonvara, when asked to describe Mel Purcell's service, clients described it as real, compassionate, empowering, friendly, welcoming, inner strength building, a positive, safe, supportive environment, and she was described by one source as an absolute legend who enables change with love. Mel offers clinical counselling, hypnotherapy, and a professional service which is tailored to the individual. She has a personal approach and makes sure each client's experience is authentic to their needs while also ensuring full confidentiality. Winner of the 2022 Australian Allied Health Awards for Rural and Remote Excellence, 
You can self-refer or through your GP mental health care plan. Lonvara, believing in you. And so yeah. you won um, your first year in sprint cars. You won Rookie of the Year. So how, how did you actually go that season? Did you sort of win any races or get in podiums? Or... Um, I won, I think I won five heats, which kind of, it, it was a good stepping stone um, to get a lot of confidence and, you know, get up there. But, yeah, just a lot of heat wins, which which really helped us and, you know, didn't really damage the car much. So, um, yeah, it was a good year, good learning year. Um, and we kind of just built on a team together and my crew chief, Kurt Lutchell, that helped out so much with the car. And, um, yeah, it was just a lot of learning for us. We actually bought our own car um, after – so after the lease deal, we bought our own car and, you know, went from there, parted ways with our team, the other team, Scott um, – parted ways and you know went our own way just just to have our own stuff and you know learn as much as we could and it was it just that rookie year before you came over to the states or did you have another year here as well yeah so last season was my second season yep um so yeah i had another year behind me and you know we we definitely improved since our first year with um results getting you know i think six out of 10 races on the podium and yep. going, you know, third third in the championship, the driver's championship. Um, yeah, it was pretty cool. Um, yep. Pretty cool year for us. And, yeah, it was just a whole whole learning game as well. Still learning as much as we can. It's, it's kind of like an apprenticeship. You know, you've got four years of learning and then you start to really get up there. And you say, you know, you obviously you had some, some scary times out there. Have you had any big stacks or any times when you've, you know, come close? Or Yeah, I, um, last season um, I went to hospital. I, you know, that axle snapped going through a corner. I think it was like 140 kilometres, 150 kilometres going into the corner. Yeah, I had a big crash then and it ruined the car. I had a fair bit of back pain. Um, so they sent me to hospital just for... You know, just to check up on me. Um, but you know that that was a scary crash. That shook me up a little bit. But I think I got I got back in the car two weeks later, and we went all right. Um, yep. Yeah, but I was I was keen to you know to get back in that night. But yeah, as soon as I mentioned a bit of back pain, that you know the, the um, ambulance and all that, they just wanted to take me. That was, that was really good for me. I can't make them enough. Yeah, I made sure I was good. So. I was, I was going to ask you that because obviously, um, you know, recently a lot of people down here know um, know Adrian Redpath, who you'd obviously know. He's um, he had a had a big crash recently, and you know, got got pretty banged up. He's still just coming through recovery now, but just you know, to yeah. to have the courage to to get back in. And I don't know what his plans are to get back in or not. I know I would be after that, but you know, you yeah. guys are so you guys are made of different stuff than me. But do you think about that? at all when you when you go to, to get into a race like what could potentially happen or do you just put that aside and focus on what you've got to do? I think I think when you strap into a car, you know, you've always got that risk behind your head. Like you always know, you know, something could go wrong. Like it is a pretty dangerous sport. But I feel like you just need to, you know, move past it if you really want to be successful and, you know, have a good night. You can't you can't be scared of the car. Um of course, you can be cautious while racing a little bit, but you really, you really got to go for it, and you just can't think about those things. Yeah. That was a 
very scary crash. I was actually in that race um, and I pulled up. I pulled up right behind him and, yeah, it, was, it wasn't good. Um, but it's it's good he's recovering. He's recovering really fast. He's he's such a good guy and, you know, he's helped me a lot just um, through teaching me um, off the track and, you know, he's good to race against, teaching me on the track as well. Yep. I was going to ask you that, just being a young fella, do some of the older racers sort of take you under their wing and give you a few tips or do they – do you sort of give them the shits if you're starting to beat them? <laughs> <laughs> I think you know you got you got all those all the uh, older guys that've been doing it for a while. They're you know very humble and they they're always willing to help you. Um, doesn't matter if you're right up with them; they'll they'll always help you. Like Jamie Bricknell or um, Adrian, or there's there's multiple drivers out there that you know willing to help. And I've grown pretty good friends with them um, yeah. these last couple of years. And so how did the opportunity to go to the States come up, mate? Is that something that, again, you drove yourself or did you get sort of handpicked? Did somebody put an offer to you? How does that work? Um, so my dad's like really good friend, probably best mate, uh, Scott Mayles. He's actually from Devonport when he was young um, and worked his way up through crew chiefing for people and learning race cars or sprint cars and Working for really like he was um, Jason Jason side, so team I'm on. He was the crew chief of that car when Jason was racing. Yep. Um, so he knows Jason really well, and means me and Scotty always talked about me coming over there just for a little bit to learn, or you know, to race one day. And this kind of opportunity come up where you know I could come over and I could learn, and I just I took it. I didn't. I didn't want to hold back. It was, it was a little bit on my mind. Like, do I really want to quit my apprenticeship to come here? It's like it's a big risk, but I think if I don't try it, I'll, I'll probably regret it in the future. So, yeah. yeah, I went for it, and you know, it's been the best thing for me. I feel. Yeah. So, it was the plan for you to go over there and race one of um, Jason's cars? Is that how it's working out for you? No, it's more just learning and crewing. Um, okay. yep. this season so he took me under his wing and he's teaching me as much as possible um, where we travel you know travel all over the country just racing um, but yeah Jason's been really good about it and you know, good mentor and just helps me out as much as I can it's good yep. so what's the what's the um, the next step then for you while you're over there is a plan to get you in a car at some stage or I hope so. I've been, you know, I've been talking to a few teams, and I'm trying to get something lined up. Obviously, I need a fair bit of money behind me to make it happen. Um, so it's one of those things in the future where I've got to really, you know, talk to sponsors and find sponsors to get it to happen. But yeah, this is the long term goal to end up and race over here. Yeah. So at some stage, though, like when you say talking to sponsors and, and, you know, putting your own team together, they'd have to see you in a car at some stage, though, wouldn't they? Like, is there some point where you can actually get behind the wheel and show them what you can do? Or would they be more likely to look at your results back in Australia? I feel like it's more Australian results. Um, They look at you and, you know, they'll commit to you for a few months at a time, however long your visa allows you to, and then... You know, when you start putting it up there and getting good results, like Kerry Madsen or James McFadden from Australia, they're they're full-time now on business visas. 
um, this is their job to just race for a living. So, yeah, yeah, that's that's where I want to hopefully be in the future. So the step will probably be for you to come back to Australia and keep racing there, but just sort of keep the feelers out in America and then come back over. Is that how it works? Yeah, I feel like it'll kind of be the same each year, come over in May and then come over for a few months and then, yeah, see see how it goes. I could be crewing, I could be racing. Um, but I feel, you know, just being over here, it's it's pretty cool. And, yeah, I feel like this is where I need to be. Awesome. You feel like you're yeah. in your element. Yes. Yeah, definitely a dream come true. Awesome. And what's the, what's the main thing that you've learned since being over there, mate? Like, is there, is there many sort of, obviously, you know, aside the following, do they go about it sort of differently, um, you know, the, the technical side of it to Australia? Have you learned anything on that side of things? I think everything's a lot faster over here on how they do stuff, how they wash the car, how they change motors. Um Everything's a lot faster and I feel a lot easier. Um, just how they've got everything organised and, you know, they got the tools to do everything on the car. Um, a lot of cool tricks Jason showed me just with how he works on the car and makes it a lot easier for your body and yourself to be able to do that. So, yeah, I feel like America is definitely ahead a few years of Australia and the racing kind of side. Yeah. And just um, coming back to you, your foot again, mate, you said that is that something that you're going to have to manage, you know, for the for the rest of your life? Like it's probably going to sort of give you a little bit of pain, like right along. There's not going to be a point where it's, it's going to not come good, but it's going to be like something that you don't have to worry about. I think it's always going to be something I have to worry about, but I think with racing and all that stuff, I don't actually, I don't have pain when I race. Yeah, it's kind of after the meetings I have pain. Um, but yeah, I think it's just one of those things where it's just kind of always going to be with me for life. But I'm kind of just, you know, it's whatever to me. It's just going to move on and make it all happen. Well, with with your attitude, mate, and where you've got to from from here, like you know, the fact that you've never let it hold you back, and you've just sort of had a crack and you know, got to where you wanted to go and, you know, smash those barriers and stuff. Like, I'm, I'm sure that, it, you know, it's all going to work out well for you. And that's pretty much all the questions that I've got for you, mate. All I, all I can really awesome. say to you, you know, from, from here moving forward is, is best of luck with it. But by the sound of it, you know, I'm a big believer that you make your own luck. And I think you've you've pretty well done that. You're pretty well a testament to, to that statement already. So, you know, for, Thank for you. anyone... I really appreciate it. That's all right, mate. And, you know, for, for anyone that's, um, you know, into their motorsport, I think they need to keep keep their eye on you. The ones down here would obviously know about you already, but anyone else that loves their motorsport, you know, keep, keep an eye on Ethan because they're going to see you doing good things in the future. I've got no doubt about it. Thank you so much, mate. It's been a pleasure. A very impressive young man. And as you heard from his story, it's no surprise that Ethan's smashing it in the motorsport world. With his drive and tenacity, I'm sure we're going to hear bigger things from him in the future. Some of the great messages from Ethan's story is that attitude is so important. If you have a dream, don't take no for an answer and keep pushing to get where you want to go. This was evident through Ethan refusing to let his physical limitations as a young fella stop him and getting on the front foot himself to organise sponsorship to get into sprint cars. Always look at what you have rather than what you don't have. As Ethan said, when he was in Melbourne for procedures, he always reminded himself that others are going through far worse than he was. And don't be afraid to take risks and risk failing for your dreams. 
Ethan gave up a lot to follow his dreams to the USA, and you have to back yourself in life if you want to achieve great things because regrets will last way longer than failures. As Northwest Tassie is a remote area, I just want to quickly tell you about a great organisation doing their bit to help the rural community deal with mental health and suicide. Rural Alive and Well, or better known as RAW, R-A-W, have a mission to build healthy and resilient rural and remote communities to reduce the prevalence of suicide. RAW specialises in providing a proactive outreach and one-on-one -on -one support service which addresses situational stresses and increases protective factors to minimise the risk of suicide. RAW is non-clinical, genuine and non-intrusive. The service is confidential with no fees for participants and it uses a person-centred shared goals approach. RAW adopts a culturally sensitive, strength-based and collaborative approach to delivering services. Their team come from a range of backgrounds and receive training and ongoing support to provide evidence-informed care to people. To access their services, call 1800 729 827. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram or jump on their website www.rawtas.com.au